Nothing is impossible with God. And those are words of Jesus spoke. So we'll hear them as well. It could have been one of our favorite verses, I'm sure, as we are now in a series called Favorites, looking at uh, different verses that uh, we feel like may or maybe are classic Bible verses, ones many of us know. If we don't know them, we're going to know them before the series is over. Looked at a number of verses we've looked at have been, uh, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Uh, shepherd Psalm, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, we looked at I plans for you, uh, for hope and a future from Jeremiah 29, 11. Today we're looking at Matthew 7, 7 through 12, several verses there. You'll hear them in a minute. But I want to talk about the Bible first a little bit. And, and that is that the Bible doesn't exist just to answer questions for us or to improve our lives. I mean, I believe it does both those things, but that's not necessarily the reason the Bible exists for us. The Bible is a book about God and all that God is, the grand, glorious creator of all that is, the heavenly Father, the powerful, loving, wise, all that God is for us. It's also a book about us, a very, very honest book about what humanity is about, our needs, our flaws, our brokenness, who we are, our limitations. That's all in the book as well. And then it talks about how we connect together. Our relationship together as God's people, as God and God's people, and how we connect. All those things happen in the Bible. It's a book about, about that relationship. And we select verses that we like or uh, especially connect with. Sometimes it's about uh, something that touches during your dark time in life. It's somewhere in my experience that verse came to me and it really helped me. I read that verse, it touched me, it encouraged me. That may be the case. Other verses is simply something we learned as a child maybe, and uh, maybe our mom or dad taught us and learned it in Sunday school, and we remember it back then, and it kind of encourages us, brings back memories of times that were simple and, and clean and easy for us. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, maybe something we just enjoy. Uh, it, it helps us in our life today in whatever way. But in the end, it's usually about the fact somehow God, somehow we connected with God in the verse or the section uh, or even the Word, connects us with God. Today we'll look, begin looking at this with one verse that Linda read a minute ago, and that's chapter 7, verse 7 of Matthew. It's the first verse we're looking at today, and it says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. What does that mean? You know, I made a joke up myself a few years ago. I think I told it here once. I'm going to tell it again. So if you don't like it, it's something I've put together uh, to kind of fit a message. So I'm doing it again. There were three uh, men who were lost for 20 years on, the des on a deserted island. And they'd become great friends during that time, uh, surviving together. What can make you friends, I guess? And they found and discovered a genie who could give three wishes. As there were three men. She gave each one one of the wishes. First one said, I want to be a famous movie star. I want a big house and lots of money and fame, living in the best section of Beverly Hills. Snap. He got the wish, and off he goes. Second one said, I want to be the best basketball player in the NBA, to be the star, highest paid, and escalate to drive, and the power and owner of the team. I want that too. Snap. He gets that. The third one stands there and says, you know, I'm I'm kind of lonely right now and all by myself now after 20 years. I feel so alone. I want, I want my two best friends back with me. <laughs> we don't always know what we really want. Would you agree with that? We, we, 
we don't always understand what our needs really are. But Jeannie came to you and you discovered it and you could ask one wish, what would you wish for? Would you want a day to think about it? Give me a year. I know right now. What really? Think about it. What would you ask for if you had one wish? Would it be the uh, mandatory Miss America answer, I want world peace? Would that be what you would wish for? What would it be? If you could ask God for one thing, what would that be? Two things, three things, what would you ask? Now, I want, to ask, I want to ask three questions that may help us narrow that down. It's very critical to understand what this text is about to answer these questions. And if you, have, if you want to follow along your message page, please do that. This is going to take more than today. I hope you'll take it home with you and kind of explore some of your own answers to these questions and what the Bible says that you can ask, seek, and knock. And so here's what they are. What are you really looking for? That's the first question. You have to write it down if you want to take it home with you. They're on the message page. But what are you really looking for? Do you even know? In life, what's your search for? You know, what are you moving to try to achieve or make happen or get? What is that? You know, in the world we live in, we're often told what that is. Uh, somewhere when we're young, maybe in high school or even before that, uh, we, we're sitting there minding our own business. Somebody says, here's a box. Here's what you should look for in life. And we take the box and say, okay, I guess that's it. And we open it. Oh, I got to do this and I got to achieve that and I got to get that. I got to make that happen, you know. And, here's where, and, and, often, and we're off and running. Okay, the second question is this. What does success look like for you? What is that? Now, I realize that's a generational question, meaning that if you're 20, you're probably going to think very differently about that if you're 80. But still, what does success look like for you? I will say most people who achieve the success they want realize it wasn't as big a deal as they thought it was. Because they, they misdefine what success really was for them. They let somebody else define it for them. Someone else tell them, well, success is you have this amount of money, or you have this status on your job. Or you have a family, or you, this is what you're looking at, and they define it that way. And the third question is, who decides what is important? Who decides what is important? Uh, I think many people, have, that the world around that has decided for them what importance is. Here's what's important for you. This is what you should live for, do, try to get, make happen. This is what is valuable in your life. Go do this. And we're often told what is important. Or we may even define what importance is. Here's what I think is important. Here's what matters to me. Here's what I care about. But the question really is, what does God think is important? And in that question, we have to decide, is God all-powerful, all-loving, and all-wise? If God is smart and smarter than me, if God is loving and I can trust him, if God is all-powerful, can make anything happen that he wants to, then shouldn't I trust him to let me know what is important and what is not? We have the Bible that helps us do that. It talks about us and God and that relationship between us and God. So those are things I want us to kind of put into place right now in our heart and our mind, work on later if you would like to do that, and I hope you do, 
to lead to the next part of the message today by talking about philosophy of living. You're already with me really kind of where we're going with that, but, you know, everybody has a philosophy for their life. You know, someone who is extremely addicted to a certain drug, their philosophy is, whatever I got to do to get more of that drug, and I'm only using that as an illustration, but that person, that's their philosophy. It's what they do. Uh, Everybody has a philosophy for living. Some people's philosophy is, uh, I want to own the universe, you know, and so they work very, very hard uh, to become the head of the largest company in the world, and that's still not enough. They won't even make more money. They'll say, well, $20 billion is not enough. I want $40 billion, and, and that's a philosophy for them. They say, how do I get to $40 billion? Then how do I get to $60 billion? Then how do I get to $80 billion? Not criticizing that at all. I'll give you simply an illustration of philosophies that people live by. Some people have philosophy, I don't want to do anything that I don't have to do, and so they can find themselves living on the street. And some are happy with that, believe it or not where life is just simply, I don't worry about anything, do anything, have any concerns or care, I don't even worry about my shoes. So they've chosen a life that requires nothing to worry about by that life. Now, I'm going I'm to share you five philosophies that are kind of tongue-in-cheek, uh, humorous philosophies that people may choose to live by. And here's the first one with it as a picture. We have a philosophy, I'm not crazy, my reality is, reality is just different from yours. If you know someone like that, please don't point at them, Okay? <laughs> You may know someone like that, but there are people who live that philosophy, uh, this wild and crazy life, second philosophy. The truth is, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Life is a crazy ride, and nothing is guaranteed. Uh, Jesus said this about some in his culture, saying, some of you think that eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you're going to die. That's how you live. And he compares that to the time of Noah, how they lived in the time of Noah's flood. So some, that's a philosophy for them, and they just kind of roll with the flow. Very, very flexible people. Third philosophy. Three C's of life. Choices, chances, and changes. You must make a choice or take a chance or your life will never change. There's some truth in that, uh, but probably unworkable philosophy in the end. How do I live by that? Do I live, make every decision like that? Probably not. We can't do that. Fourth one. Okay, this is kind of the I don't believe in God direction. Eat, survive, reproduce said four times. You see the animal kind of changing. You have the evolutionary picture there. In the end, what's it all about? You know, that's a very confusing way to live, by the way. Uh, Some may choose that. The last one here today that I have. Uh, I like like this for a reason. Life is short, so don't hold back. Forgive like you have amnesia. Believe like a kid. Love like crazy and be yourself. Now, you look at that and you think, what a great way to live, only it's impossible. It can't be done because each one's a contradiction with the other. So it's, everything's a contradiction trying to choose that kind of lifestyle. That's an unworkable philosophy. Now, that's a hurricane to live in the middle of that. Now, take that off. Those are just for fun, really. Now, I want to share with you the philosophy that Jesus said we should live by that you've already heard read by Linda. I'm going to read it for you again in the NIV version, 712. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And the word everything is critical here. Now, what's the title of that? For those that know, uh, there's a term that's used for that particular verse. It's called the golden rule. If you've never heard that term, now you know that term, the golden rule, uh, long defined uh, that teaching of Jesus. Treat others like you want to be treated. Now, if you choose to live your life by this philosophy, what does that look like? What is that? Jesus said to love God, everything you've got, 
and love your neighbor like you love yourself. He then said, upon that verse hangs all the law and all the prophets. Now he says again here, treat others like you want to be treated, and upon this hangs all the law and all the prophets. Now the law would have been the first five books of the Old Testament. You know, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, it would be those five. The prophets would have been the rest of the Old Testament. It would be Jeremiah, Isaiah, even include the Psalms. Uh, that's what those words would have been. So it would have been our Old Testament would have been that. He says that from all, that, all those words comes this. If you do this, you'll, all those rules will fall into place like they're supposed to, like God intended. And to know what this philosophy looks like, let's look at Jesus because he lived it out perfectly. The only one that did. Lived it out to perfection. The life of Jesus, and these will be on the message page as well, the life of Jesus was full of purpose. You know, purpose, hear me now, purpose is where we find energy and enthusiasm and excitement for life. No purpose, that does not exist. It comes from purpose. And we have a purpose. Not just one huge somewhere down the road thing I hope to accomplish, but Every day I have this kind of purpose, extension the law and the prophets, and my faith in Jesus Christ. The life of Jesus Christ was full of God, full of God. And we think about how he lived, God filled all that he did, the smallest little things, cooking a fish on a rock after the resurrection for his disciples, but it also included the masterful moment he walked to the cross to give his life for the sins of the world. Full of God. Now, the life of Jesus Christ was full of meaning. Everything he did had meaning. Not one thing, but everything had meaning to it. It had eternal ramifications. Nothing was lost in the dust, lost in the past. Had no, had no meaning for it because of how he chose to live. And fourthly, this life, this did not preclude suffering or sacrifice. In fact, it automatically includes those things because that goes with a life of purpose, God, and meaning. So we don't choose to live the way many Americans live, which is avoid sacrifice or suffering. We choose instead to embrace purpose, God, and meaning in the verse that I just read uh, where we uh, do unto others like we have to do unto us, and there we experience the life that God wants for us in that way. Now I want to take a sidestep for a second and talk about marriage a little bit. Not necessarily the heart of the sermon, but I think it applies from this particular text. You know, what makes marriage work? And Rhonda and I are going to celebrate our fourth, fourth wedding anniversary very soon. We're going to leave today after church and, and go celebrate our anniversary. Uh, for, we're not, not married 40 years till December, but we wanted to go during nice weather instead of freezing weather. So we're going to head out here uh, later on for that. But four things. Be nice to each other. said that before. It's remarkable how that works. Uh, marriage counseling often includes somebody's mean to somebody and it's not going well. Well, it never does. So be nice to each other. Be faithful. And if we fail on that, we say, God, forgive, please forgive, and we begin anew to be faithful. It's about faithfulness. It's about sharing life. I don't have time to talk about that, but I want you to think about what that means for you if you're married. Uh, what sharing life looks like and how valuable that is in helping you and your, and your, and your, and your spouse 
and what life can become as the years go by. It is a remarkable part of marriage, read Genesis uh, 2, where you see how creation took place and why men were created for women and women for men. You'll discover something about this shared life and why it's important. And fourthly, share faith. Share faith. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, and it comes from treating others like you want to be treated. And it really works. I want to share that with you. And, I'll, and I'm going to go back now to the message in a more clear way. So talking about Jesus, as we understand what this philosophy looks like by looking at Jesus, the life of Jesus was about his identity. He knew who he was. Now, America wants to tell you who you are. The world you live in wants to tell you who you are. Uh, but who are you? Who am I? What was Christ's identity? What is my identity? Do we know who we are? Is my identity, well, I'm a senior pastor, or I lead a church? No, my identity is in relation to Christ. That's my identity. It was about his relationships. It's not an accident. The first thing Christ did when he began his public ministry was select 12 guys to travel with him. That's the first thing he did. And the last thing he did, just before he gave his spirit up to God, was tell John, there's my mother, she's now your mother. And who is mom? Mom, he is now your son. I want him to take care of you. His life was defined this way. He, he knew who he was in those relationships, as well as his identity. And his life was about his mission. He always had that meaningful purpose that drove him throughout life. And that mission was small things, big things, daily things, eternal things. These are not hard things to answer. The Bible's full of what mission is for a Christian, what loving a neighbor looks like, what loving God looks like, what being nice and being faithful and sharing life and sharing faith looks like. These things all apply, I think, today. So hear that. Now, as you hear these words today, you may feel like uh, this kind of life seems impossible. Well, nothing is impossible with God. God gives us resources to make it possible, and an attitude of faith we can possess those resources with. And he uses here in this text an illustration that is an amazing, beautiful illustration. You've already heard it, but I'll say it again. And I'm going to paraphrase now. If a child comes to his father, hungry, and asks for bread... The father won't give him a stone, will he? And, the, and those around, oh, no, never, never. Well, if a child comes and asks for a fish and he's hungry or she's hungry, he won't give him a snake, will he? And the answer, of course he won't. He's going to give him what he needs. Everybody knows the right answer to that question. It's not hard to answer. And then he says, how much more, verse, chapter 7, verse 11, the, the last text, the last scripture today, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more will your heavenly Father, who is a perfect Father, and we are not, gives us what is good in our life? Now let that drive from the things you've already said today about what we ask for, what do you want, what are you really seeking, what would you like to have, where are you going? Now I was blessed to have a good Father, an earthly Father. I know some may not have experienced that, and I'm sorry if that's been your journey and you found others in your life to love you and be part of your life, but I was blessed to have a good Father. He became a, a much better father in his 40s when he came to Christ in a personal way. He was a good dad before that, but he became a great dad after that as an adult, and we were, and we were all gr grown adults at that time. But my, I, th I thought a long time, what are the best gifts my father has given to me in my life? What are those gifts? Well, we have a house full of sculptures and art objects that came from him. 
we have a, uh, in our house a bronze Indian uh, uh, chasing a, a, a buffalo with a spear and it's sitting up there on our, uh, above our television set. It's a very expensive thing. And we're visiting my dad one day. He said, take that home with you. I said, Dad, that's yours. I know you like it. Why would you enjoy it? I want you to enjoy it now. I've enjoyed it enough. It's time for you to enjoy it. You can't argue. He wouldn't let us. We took it home. We have a house full of things just like that. Uh, we have an owl. We have some birds on limbs that are ceramics, very expensive little things, very true. And we have paintings all over the walls of our house that he's gave through the years just like that. We appreciate those things. The bed in our guest room. When he passed away, he left that to us. And that bed, very nice beds now in our guest room. If you ever stay as a guest, sleep in my bed, dad's bed. Uh, when it came time to uh, get our first car, my, I, say, I say our, my brother and I shared things. We're identical twins. If you're a guesser, you don't know that. So we had to experience that throughout life, which was okay now. It wasn't okay then. But anyway, we got a 1959 Ford Fairlane was that first car. Uh, and we enjoyed that together until I, till I wrecked it twice. That's another sermon uh, that I did that. Uh, but we appreciate that. But when it came time to graduate from college, we used up all our money. It was all gone. Uh, I'd saved money up in high school, some in the military. I got married. We'd had two kids since then. So my kids, you all took all our money. We spent paying for you. I got a son here paying for them. And so by the time I got out of high school, I got out of college, I didn't have $800 to, get, to pay my last bill to get my transcript to be able to go to seminary. You know, you have to pay your bill for it. They give you a transcript. How many have experienced that in your life? Well, that's exactly the way that it was. So we had, and I said, Dad... I called him on the phone. We were in Missouri. He was in Texas. Dad, will you loan me $800 to pay this off? And Dad said, all you do is ask. And he sent, and he sent the check. We didn't ask for any money before that. That's what we, just, we just didn't. Uh, and so he just gave it. Some years later, he said, Mike, you don't owe me anything. Just keep that. You don't, I don't want you to pay that back. We're going to pay it back when I get out of seminary. Do not keep that. We appreciate that. And I, and I think, what are the great gifts that Dad's given me? And most of you have had those, those privileges in your life. But I thought, in the preparation of this sermon, what's the best thing my dad ever, my, my earthly father ever gave me? And it wasn't any of those things. It was a letter uh, some years before he died. We simply sent a note and said, I want, I, I want you to know I'm proud of you. That was all. You know, and there's more than that said in the letter, but he said, I'm proud of you, Mike. I'm proud of who you are. I'm proud of what you've done. And that's by far the best gift my earthly father ever gave me. Now, I want you to rethink with me. If you could ask for one thing from God, what would you ask for? If you are seeking for something, what are you seeking for? If you want to knock on a door, what door are you knocking on in your life? You could ask for God for one thing. What would you ask me for? What would you ask God for? Now, I know that our journey to church is from all different kind of directions today because we're all different people. But we're all at the same place right now. And so my guess, you came to church knowing you're going to be singing Bible hymns, right? You're going to be asked to give an offering. Bible would be read somewhere. You'd hear a sermon and you're hoping it was decent. You'd hear some songs and, and you, know, you, know exactly what you're, you, you know exactly what you're bargaining for when you came to church. Now I realize you could have been eating a huge stack of pancakes at a local restaurant instead. I know that. 
could have been sitting out uh, in a nice, uh, cool morning on the porch with coffee, reading your favorite, whatever you like to read. You could be doing that. You could be going over the, bat, the football games from yesterday and how your team won or lost. So some are happy, some are sad. But instead, you came to church. And I want to tell you this for your heavenly Father. He is proud of you. He is proud that you are here. He is proud of who you are. He is proud of who you are becoming. That's what earthly fathers are about for their children. And they're far from perfect. But the heavenly father, he's perfect about his children, his sons and his daughters. He is proud of your life and who you are and who are you becoming. So that boils down again to the final question. If you could ask God for one thing, what would that be? The verses, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. And finally, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words to us today. We hear them. We've uh, hid them in our hearts. We sorted through God the thoughts you give us in Scripture and even more the life of Jesus Christ who teaches us so many things. So, Lord, we pray you'll teach us today not only that you will grant us salvation by the gift of Christ crucified and raised from the dead, but also you'll teach us how to live this life in the way you want us to live it. You might walk in the way you want us to walk it. You might experience the way you want us to experience it. Because, God, we do, we do want you to be proud of us. And that's our prayer today in Jesus' name. Amen.